Welcome to The Pickup. I'm Kevin Walsh. And oh my goodness, there is a lot to get to. It's Super Bowl week, if you care. And I'll tell you who didn't care, the NBA. Last night, a terrific slate of games that included the top two records in the Eastern Conference in Milwaukee and Toronto facing off, a game that the Bucks won, included a potential finals preview with the 76ers going to Golden State and getting an incredibly impressive victory. Oh, and LeBron played for the first time in over a month. None of those three things are what we're going to be talking about today with the NBA because Anthony Davis, a top five player in the league, finally requested a trade. So the most valuable asset in all of basketball is going to be on the market. So we're going to talk about that. But of course, because it's the NBA, we're not even starting with that because the NBA is insane. So we start with Kristaps Porzingis, who somehow is now on the Dallas Mavericks. And when something as surprising as this happens, the takes begin to fly. I mean, it, it, it all took place within an hour in terms of everybody finding out about the quote-unquote trade request and Kristaps being on a new team. Very, very quick, this all happened. And the takes were flying. To me, this needs to be broken down in two spaces. What took place before the meeting between Chris Stapps and the Knicks, and what transpired after the meeting between Chris Stapps and the Knicks. Let's go to the before, because... If you believe that Chris Stapps requested the trade, or at the minimum Chris Stapps was non-committal to the New York Knicks, you have to then accept that something made him feel that way. And if you believe that Chris Stapps had a massive change of heart halfway through this year over his love for this organization because they were currently the worst team in basketball, I think you would be off base. I do not believe that Chris Dapps was short-sighted enough to say, we're not winning games, not realizing that his absence is a big reason why, not realizing the benefit of potentially landing a top pick, and would request a trade. Chris Stapps was made to feel uncomfortable by a front office that had no desire to keep him around. A front office that did not draft him. Because when the Anthony Davis trade request came in, the Knicks were a team that jumped out for a lot of people. People threw out the idea of the Knicks, including Chris Tapps Porzingis, in a deal with the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, that is something that I thought would have been a mistake for the Knicks. Anthony Davis is better than Chris Tapps, is more valuable than Chris Tapps. But I didn't think they had the security to make that move with AD. I did not find that to be a necessary move for the Knicks. We then find out, as those trade talks are potentially progressing, that Chris Stapps is unlikely to stay long-term in New Orleans. What we find out even more is that 
Chris Stapps is not only being talked about in trade rumors because of Anthony Davis coming available, but the Knicks have had conversations with several teams about acquiring their franchise cornerstone. So Chris Stapps now feels betrayed, feels as if this front office does not see him as a part of their future. How could you possibly blame him? So then they have a meeting where Chris Stapps wants answers to understand the direction that this franchise is going in, which is more than reasonable. He wants to know how they feel about him, considering he is being included in trade discussions, not just with the Pelicans, but again, as reported, with several teams. And what does that indicate? Because the Knicks right now, everything was supposed to be geared towards this offseason, right? But if they're moving Chris Stapps, then Chris Stapps can wonder, what is this team's motivation? Now, you would expect that those questions would be answered by this front office in a manner that would give Chris Stapps confidence, that they would sell him on the idea that he is still their franchise cornerstone, if that's what they wanted. Instead, they had a five-minute meeting. The conversations with other teams about acquiring Chris Stapps took place before the meeting. I believe that meeting went a little like this. Hey, Chris Stapps, are you going to stay with us long term? Yes or no? He no longer feels trust in the organization and informs them that he is signing the qualifying offer in order to give himself full control as a free agent in 2020. Please understand, that that decision, if it is made by Chris Stapps Porzingis, is the single biggest risk a player will take in NBA history. He is going to be offered a $150 million contract extension coming off an ACL injury. If he turns that down for a one-year million contract. That is the biggest risk in NBA history. And if he makes that decision, please understand that there is a motivation behind it. And it is not because he thinks that in 2020, the money will be greater. Nobody turns down that rookie max extension but chris stapps feels betrayed by this front office so much that he lets them know he is not signing long term with anybody not new orleans not anybody and that is the end of the before where the new york knicks have purposely 
pushed away their franchise cornerstone, their best player since Patrick Ewing. They have pushed him away successfully, made him feel uncomfortable, and felt like they now have enough grounds to trade him away. So what happens in the after? The Knicks have to act incredibly quick, try and get out in front of the news that he is going to only accept the qualifying offer because once that's public information, his trade value drops drastically. Which again, is entirely the Knicks' fault that he is going to only accept the qualifying offer reportedly. So they pull the trigger quick and make this deal with the Dallas Mavericks. And they acquired four things in this trade. DeAndre Jordan and Wes Matthews are not on that list. There is no reason for either of those players to play a single game with the Knicks. This team is still trying to tank. They do not need to upgrade their roster for this season with those two players. It goes along the same line of reasoning why they have not played Ennis Cantor. They are both impending free agents. They will not be back with the Knicks. Buy them out and move on. The four things they got. Two of them are draft picks. Currently slated. Currently slated. To come in 2021 unprotected from Dallas. And 2023 Top 10 protected from Dallas. So the earliest they see these picks are two drafts away. And the Mavericks right now owe their 2019 pick to Atlanta. But Atlanta, that pick is top 5 protected. So if Atlanta doesn't get it this year, then they need to get the 2020 pick. Which pushes back these Maverick draft picks even further, which is only going to decrease their value because Luka Doncic is only going to get better, Kristaps would only get healthier, and even if he did leave, Mark Cuban is going to spend money to put around Luka Doncic, one of the most promising players in the entire league. So that's two of the four things they got were assets so far away the only concrete thing you can say is in 2023, they have no chance of landing a top 10 pick from Dallas. The next thing they acquired was Dennis Smith Jr. As if they felt necessary to remind everybody what level of incompetence the Knicks have been working with for so damn long. Dennis Smith Jr., who the Knicks could have drafted just two years ago, who everybody said they should have drafted and instead passed on for Frank Nikolita and saw Dennis Smith go with the very next pick, make All-NBA second-team rookie, Frank Nikolita, who can't even get minutes on the tanking Knicks, they then prioritize Dennis Smith Jr. and bring him in to remind everybody of the incompetence that this organization has been dealing with for so long. What's even more impressive is even if you like Dennis Smith Jr. and believe 
that he can be the starting point guard of a contending franchise, you are not one of many. Because the Dallas Mavericks tried to trade Dennis Smith Jr. less than two weeks ago. He was away from the team, and the offers were so underwhelming that they had to call it off. And they brought Dennis Smith back. So that's the perception of value around Dennis Smith Jr., currently in the league, a player that was just the main piece given to the New York Knicks in a deal for Kristaps Porzingis, a player they easily and obviously could have drafted just two years ago. And then the main thing that the Knicks got, the thing that everybody is telling me now makes this a home run deal for the New York Knicks cap space the Knicks now have room for two max free agents one person said this was the best day in Knicks franchise history in the last 10 years because now they have cap space oh right because the Knicks have never had cap space before oh right because the Knicks have not struck out in free agency before and do understand that they need to use both of those max contract slots in order for this to not be an absolute failure. Kevin Durant is the name that you will hear most. But do not forget that Kevin Durant was in those conversations before they cleared all of these contracts because they didn't need to trade Chris Stapps in order to create space and get off bad deals to sign Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant was already a potential landing when they hired one of his best friends, Royal Ivy, as an assistant basketball coach when his business manager is a lifelong Knicks fan. Kevin Durant was already in the works, was already a possibility. You've now made the situation less attractive because you were supposed to put Durant next to Chris Stapps Porzingis, who's not there. They now need to fill that second max contract slot, and that's if they get Kevin Durant. With who are they going to fill it with? Clay Thompson? is staying in Golden State if Kevin Durant leaves. Kawhi Leonard is going to Los Angeles. Charlotte is set on keeping Kemba Walker. Jimmy Butler has been chasing the money and would lead me to believe he's staying in Philly. So it's Kyrie Irving. You're convinced Kyrie is coming. Despite that he has plenty of options because, spoiler, the Knicks aren't the only team with cap space. The Lakers will have near-max slot if they trade for Anthony Davis and will absolutely have a max contract slot if they don't. The Clippers will have two max slots. The Brooklyn Nets, a team also in New York, will have two max slots. All of these teams who currently house these potential free agents will try and do everything in their power to bring these guys 
back. And the Knicks have now lost one of their main selling points in Chris Stapp's Porzingis when talking to these free agents. They now have to pray to God that they land Zion Williamson, who they will at best be tied with two other teams with the odds to land the number one pick. That's the best case scenario. And then hope that free agents fall for it's the big city, it's the bright lights, and it's the garden. Unfortunately, though, that has been true for over 20 years, and it's not made a difference. When LeBron goes to Miami, and the best thing you're left with is Amari Stoudemire. When you can't get a meeting with LaMarcus Aldridge. Everybody is parading this trade because the Knicks have now acquired cap space. Please tell me when that has mattered. This team has been nothing but incompetent for so long. Cap space doesn't even guarantee you a meeting, let alone the players. The Knicks just traded away their franchise corner stone for the chance to bring in two max guys with no guarantees. I hope I am wrong. I would love to be wrong. But I have no reason to trust this organization to land these guys, especially when, please keep this in mind, the most recent star player they had, Chris Stapp's Porzingis, they made him so uncomfortable, so unwanted, that he is readying to take the biggest risk in the history of this league by a player. That's the front office that has to sell these cup upcoming free agents. Good luck. This trade is a mistake and is a sad day for New York basketball. I had to put the break in between, bring us back down. I do not like that trade, but wanted to... You know, I mean, we're not we're not going to screen the whole episode. Let's talk about another trade, Anthony Davis. And hopefully this deal doesn't break before I upload this episode. Because since I've been recording, uh, Anthony Davis has now come out and told the Celtics, or it's been reported, that the Celtics need to be aware that they are not a preferred destination for Anthony Davis and they would only be a rental. Which I think would probably start to move people off uh, how they felt about this AD trade request. But really, the conversation the whole time has been, do the Pelicans wait until the summer to move Anthony Davis, who has the rest of this season, and then a full year left on that contract? Or do they move him before the deadline? For me, and again, before this report, it has always been obvious. Move him now. You do not have more leverage by waiting until the summer. There's been a lot of misconceptions around that idea, I believe. One of the first things that people have said is if you wait for the summer, you will have more teams involved. That is not true. 
That is not true. Because right now, there are teams who believe they can contend with Anthony Davis and then flip him them themselves at the summer, or in the summer, rather. There, there are teams that believe that. If you get to the summer, the contend and flip teams, they're all off the table. So now the only teams that could possibly make that move are teams that believe they can keep Anthony Davis long-term. And that list is only going to get shorter as this continues and as you are clearly seeing as this trade request has developed. It is only going to shrink. Another reason people have talked about waiting for the uh, Anthony Davis trade to come during the summer is find out who has the number one overall pick. I'll tell you right now, there is not a single team that is going to land the number one overall pick and trade it for Anthony Davis. That is not because Anthony Davis is not worth it. I just don't see a scenario in which Anthony Davis is agreeing to stay with those teams. Right now, the best odds are between four teams, pretty much. That's who's really going to be contending for that pick. The Cavs, the Suns, and the Bulls have no chance of retaining Anthony Davis. The only team with a slight chance is the New York Knicks. And now with the fact that they just moved out Chris Stapps, I don't even know if they have the assets to bring in Anthony Davis. And again, if by the time you get to the offseason, right? Like the th- for the Knicks, they would have to trade that pick before free agency. And if they did that and then struck out in free agency, Anthony Davis is not going to want to stay there long term. So I don't see a scenario in which anybody landing the number one overall pick is sending it to New Orleans. The only other reason that people have talked about waiting is for the Boston Celtics. And again, you're seeing how that develops. But let's just talk about the idea surrounding this Boston Celtics package that they can send. Because realistically, it doesn't matter for the Pelicans if Anthony Davis stays long-term in Boston or not. They could care less. Like, if Boston is willing to make that risk, if they're willing to take that jump, then you send him there. But when you get to the summer and Anthony Davis continues to hammer home he doesn't want to be there, it lowers the package. Also, waiting until the summer gives the Celtics leverage, and that can lower the package. But I don't even know if people are appropriately evaluating what Boston can offer the Pelicans. For for about a half decade, if not longer, the Celtics have had the best assets in the league because of that deal that they made with Brooklyn. But all of those Brooklyn picks are gone, right? And the two best things they've turned into are Jason Tatum and, of course, Jalen Brown in terms of what they drafted. Obviously, a Brooklyn pick helped them get Kyrie. So you've got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Now, there were other picks that this team had, but you are seeing how quickly the value on those can change. They own the kick, the Kings pick this year unless it landed number one overall. That was supposed to be a lock to be top three. The Kings are on a top 10 pick right now. The Clippers is lottery protected for two years in a row and then turns into a 2022 second round pick. The Clippers, I believe, are missing the playoffs this year because I 100% believe the Lakers are making the playoffs this year, which means they will not be getting, and no team would be getting the Clippers pick this year. And 
even if you then have to wait an extra season, it's pretty much a situation where the Clippers land Kawhi Leonard, and now you're getting a 20s or later selection, or they miss out on everybody, and it's lottery protected again, and you just valued a 2022 second round pick. People then will preach the value of the Memphis Grizzlies draft pick, but again, as you just saw with the Kings pick and the Clippers pick, the value on these things can shift drastically. The Grizzlies pick this year is top eight protected. I anticipate the Grizzlies keeping that pick. It then moves on further with a couple of more protections before it becomes unprotected. If the Grizzlies can hit on some of their own draft picks, then they can get out of the cellar quicker than you probably anticipate. Because not only do they already have a franchise cornerstone in Jaron Jackson, but they're readying to gain assets from trading Mike Conley and Mark Gasol. So the draft picks are massively overrated. So then when you go to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, neither one of them have really shown much progression this season. Jalen Brown worries me quite a bit. Because I've seen guys leave Brad Stevens and fall off. Avery Bradley is awful now. Jay Crowder has never been the same. He was an all-NBA defense caliber guy going for 50-40-90 in Boston. We haven't seen that guy since he's left. I worry about Jalen Brown out of Boston. Reality is the entire thing comes down to Jason Tatum. But you need to believe two things about Jason Tatum. You need to believe that Jason Tatum is going to be a top 10 player in this league. And you equally need to believe that Danny Ainge will give you him. And I do not know how you could have that certainty. If this gets to the summer, you are going to be giving leverage to the Boston Celtics. And the Celtics, regardless, are going to do every single thing in their power to keep Jason Tatum. That is what they want to do. They want that big three of Kyrie, Jason Tatum, and Anthony Davis. So if those are all of the reasons to wait, I I don't agree with any of them. I do not think you will have more teams in the mix. I do not believe that anybody with the number one overall pick would send it to New Orleans. And I don't believe that the Boston deal is a guarantee to be the best possible deal the Pelicans are offered. So this then leaves them in this situation right now of moving him before the deadline. And I absolutely believe that is their best situation. If one of these contend and flip teams really, really believes in that strategy, I personally don't. I think it's too great of a risk because I don't believe that he's going to stay long-term in a Toronto or a Denver. I don't believe that. So then you bring him in, you send out prime assets, and now you have to try and recoup them. I think that's too dangerous for me. But if they believe that and they knock you away with one of those offers, then this is easy as can be for you, New Orleans. The other option is the Los Angeles Lakers. And when this trade request first got dropped, the leverage was all with the Pelicans because they don't need to move AD right now. And because the Lakers are trying everything in their power to get this deal done because they don't want to compete with Boston this offseason. They just want to get the deal done now. The reality is the leverage can move quickly. Again, as you're seeing with Anthony Davis saying, I'm not going to stay long-term in Boston. The next step here is Anthony Davis saying, I am only re-signing in Los Angeles. Your leverage flips then. 
All of the sudden, maybe then a couple of these contend and flip teams pull out. Maybe Boston pulls out. All of the sudden, the only team willing to give you anything close to what you're asking for is the LA Lakers, and then they maybe pull back off of what they're offering you. I have this entire time believed Anthony Davis is going to the LA Lakers, and every single day, to me, it only becomes more obvious. They say that the Pelicans aren't answering the phone, then the Pelicans answer the phone. They say that Boston is going to do everything they can to get Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis tells them, I'm only a rental. As this continues, as this carries on, there's only going to be more leverage, I believe, created for the Lakers. I think that the Pelicans need to move sooner than later. I think they will get the deal done with the Los Angeles Lakers, and I think it is to their benefit. I believe it is their best option. Unless one of the contending flip teams blow you away, which I do not anticipate, I believe that Anthony Davis will be an L.A. Laker, and I believe that is the best route for the New Orleans Pelicans to go. So there's a Super Bowl, by the way, which uh, which should be fantastic. I, I cannot wait. Rams, Patriots this Sunday. And this is a really, really interesting one. I'll tell you, when this matchup was first set, my initial reaction was, I've already picked against the Patriots twice. For sure don't do that three times in one postseason. Like, for sure don't make that mistake. Then, as, you know, the... You know, things kind of carried on because, again, I wanted to give myself as much time as possible to make sure I was certain in my pick. And I think it panned out considering all the NBA important news that we were able to get within this episode um, that is also doubling as a Super Bowl preview. Um, but as as the time was going was passing, I was starting to think about the Rams. And when, you know, the Rams made all of their free agent moves, I was like, I think this might be the best team in football. When they made, uh, you know, the acquisition of Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib and Indomitian Sue, I, I was like, wow, I mean, this team is really, really going for it. I mean, they, they just have so much to offer. So then I started leading towards the Rams. But then I continued to, to do more research, read more previews, go through certain things, and I've come to my conclusion on who is going to win this game. So one of the most interesting things when you play uh, the Patriots in the Super Bowl is the idea of stopping Tom Brady. How can we stop Tom Brady? Or is our only chance to win a shootout? What the, you know, what the Eagles did last year in the Super Bowl. And what the Rams have are three guys that matter more than anyone. Aaron Donald, the best defensive player in football, and then their two corners, Aqib Tlaib and Marcus Peters. The reason that those three guys matter so much is they're not just really, really good at their position. They are playmakers. They are game changers, game breakers. That's what those three guys do. And if you want to beat the Patriots, it's not just forcing them to punt. It's forcing a turnover. It's forcing a big splash play on defense. And this is what makes their corner so interesting in Tlaib and Peters. The both of them love to jump routes. They love the interception. They love to make that play. What gives you the freedom as a corner to do that is if the quarterback makes a quick decision. That's what the Patriots do. They go quick. Tom, nobody goes quicker, uh, really, than Tom Brady when it comes to releasing the football. This then can create opportunities for Peters and or Tlaib to jump routes. 
And the counter of, we'll then just hold the football a little bit longer, isn't that easy when the best defensive lineman in football is going to be breathing down your neck in Aaron Donald. And that's where the two have to work together. Peters and Tlaib in the back have to make Brady hesitate, and Donald then has to be able to create the pressure to get home on Tom Brady. Here is why I don't know if I think that might be a lot easier said than done. Peters and Tlaib do not really travel into the slot. They are not slot corners. They're perimeter guys, and they're great at that. But the Patriots know how to use the slot. Julian Edelman and Chris Hogan, their two main receivers, are really slot guys. Gronkowski will go over the middle, and you know that James White will attack the flats and will also attack the middle of the field. So I think that the Patriots can still go quick. I just think they have to be smart about who they go quick to. Go quick over the middle of the field, away from Peters and away from Tlaib. That gets the playmakers out of the mix, and that stops Aaron Donald from creating a ton of pressure. But here is another really, really big reason for concern with the Rams' defense and their attempt to stop Tom Brady and the Patriots' offense. The Rams rank dead last in defense against play action. Dead last in passer rating, dead last in QBR. So whichever one of those you they uh, you prefer, the Rams are dead last in their ranking against play action plays. And Tom Brady just so happens to be one of the top three quarterbacks this year using play action. And what's even scarier is the two games leading up to this contest, the Pats have done a fantastic job in the run game. Sony Michelle has been wonderful. So there is no reason to come out and say they must establish the run. It's not that simple. The run is already established. The Rams know that they need to respect the ground game of the Patriots. So this is going to open up play action. And I think that the Pats are actually going to have areas where they feel very, very comfortable against this Rams defense. I think the only solution for the Rams, it's not going to be consistent three and outs, consistently forcing them to punt. They need two splash plays that change the momentum, change the game, and give your offense a short field or perhaps a defensive touchdown. That is going to be the recipe for success for this Rams defense. Think back to what the Eagles did. They could not stop Tom Brady, but they got that fatal strip sack on him that all but sealed that game. So this now then goes to the Rams offense, and lucky for them, they have one of the best offenses in football. Sean McVay had the best offense in football last year. I believe they have the second best offense in football this year. So they can score with anybody, and I mean anybody. My concern with the Rams offense is their most important player hasn't been 100% in well over a month, and that's Todd Gurley. As Todd Gurley goes, this offense goes. Because Jared Goff is a lot more comfortable when Todd Gurley is popping off not only the big runs, but just consistently gaining 5 yards a carry, 4 yards a carry. It makes all the difference in the world for Jared Goff. And I don't know what percentage Todd Gurley is at. And I know C.J. Anderson has come in and been good. 
But you need Todd Gurley. This is like we're talking about the Patriots. You need your prime players. I don't believe that C.J. Anderson is going to come in and dominate this football game. And I think this puts a lot of the weight on Jared Goff. And that just concerns me. It truly does because, look, after his first year, Jared Goff looked like an all-time bust. Number one overall pick who was never going to see a third year in this league. That's how bad things were under Jeff Fisher. Now with Sean McVay, I don't think he's an elite quarterback. He makes elite throws from time to time, but he also has really, really bad misses. As I was going through research, one of the things I saw uh, in the preview done by Bill Barnwell on ESPN, which I can hi- I highly recommend, it was incredibly good, uh, he mentioned that Jared Goff was responsible for what was described as the three worst deep pass misses of the season by any quarterback. He was responsible for the top three passes that all had an 85% chance or better at being completed, and he missed those. And you can't have those kind of misses against the Patriots. And I'm sure, as you can tell by you know my as what I'm saying, I am picking the Patriots to win this game. And it is not because I am scared to pick against them for uh, a third time. Although I probably am a little bit. I just don't find this to be a matchup that is all too favorable. For the Rams. At least just not the way that the Patriots are playing. Their offense is clicking. There are clear ways to exploit this Rams defense. And the Rams offense comes in without their best player being 110%. The other thing to me is, as much as I love Sean McVay, and I think that he has the chance to be an all-time head coach. He is on that trajectory. He has made the playoffs two years. Year two, he's at the Super Bowl. He is on the trajectory to be an all-time head coach. He is going up against not just the all-time coach, not just the best coach in the history of football, but the coach that is still the best coach in the league. And that experience, that know-how in these big situations just pushes me over the edge to pick the Patriots in this game. I am incredibly excited for it. I cannot wait to watch it. I cannot wait to break it down because we will be back on Monday. Who knows, Anthony Davis might just be on a new team by then. But thank you so much for stopping by. Please do subscribe, rate, review, all of that good stuff. Find me on Twitter. At the Kevin Walsh. You might have noticed we uploaded Friday instead of Monday this week. That you could have found on Twitter, so it wouldn't have been a surprise to you. So make sure you follow me over there at the Kevin Walsh. Thank you guys so much for stopping by, and I'll see you next time.